Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 43. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly show where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running a business while traveling full-time. Today's podcast is a little bit different. I'm actually being interviewed instead of me interviewing somebody else. Guest on my show today is Kevin Holish, who I actually interviewed on episode number 10 about his popular iPhone app that he's built called Moment, which now has over 3 million users. Crazy. Kevin and I were hanging out in Hot Springs National Park last year. His wife, Mandy, brought up the idea of someone interviewing me on the podcast. I'm not going to lie. When I heard this, it kind of gave me anxiety. It felt good. I, everyone wants to be interviewed and it's fun. But it was kind of scary, too, because when I started this podcast, the purpose wasn't for me to be the RV entrepreneur. It wasn't for me to be the expert. It was for me to have a platform, to have good conversation from other people who are living this lifestyle and really to document that it's possible that you can build a business while traveling anywhere around the country, that you can start something, go see beautiful parts of America and create a community of people that valued the same things I did. So while hanging out in Austin over the past couple of weeks, Kevin got me to sit down and we finally did that interview where he turned the tables on me and we talked about what it's been like for the past few years as we've been RVing, growing our income, uh, learning how to build up passive income, grow our production business, and what it's been like trying to get campground booking off the ground. So a few things we talk about on this episode is how I've been working to transition our business from client-based work to more passive income streams, our ongoing struggle of maintaining any semblance of work-life balance while on the road, and a few other random side note tangents that Kevin and I go down a bit. Kevin and I become really good friends over the past year that we've known each other, and so we get a little bit more personal than this podcast typically gets. Hope that's okay with you guys. Today's episode is sponsored by campgroundbooking.com, a software that makes it easy for RV parks and campgrounds to accept online reservations and manage their park. Campground booking was actually an idea that I started kicking around in February of 2015 with a designer and full-time RVer that I'd met named Bob Orchard. We were both upset at the fact that it was 2016 and we still had to call RV parks to make reservations. We thought this was bonkers crazy. There's Expedia, there's Hotels.com, and every hotel that you go to, their website, like Hilton, whoever, Holiday Inn, you can make a reservation online. Yet the majority of RV park websites that you go to don't allow for online reservations. And so we decided to start working on a product to fix this. We were still in the midst of editing our documentary, and so we didn't have a lot of time. But when we finished up this summer, basically had a choice. What's next for us? What do I want the next few years of our lives to look like? And, I, and part of me kind of kept waiting on somebody else to come around and build a solution. And all of a sudden, all these campgrounds are using a new property management system, and you can make online reservations wherever, and it's all on the same website, and it's great. But that hadn't happened yet. And so I decided, why not? We're living this lifestyle. We know the industry uh, to a certain extent, at least from a camper's perspective. And so why not try to build a solution for this? And so we recruited another full-time RVer. So we now have full, three full-time RVers on our on our team at Campground Booking. It's myself, Bob Orchard, who's our designer, and Paul Ryan, who is our developer. And we built out a minimum viable product this fall. We formed our company. And as of this week, we actually have a campground who is taking real reservations through our system, which is amazing. And it feels really cool. But there's, there's already been a lot of struggles in building 
a software business while on the road. Even just filing for our bank account was a little bit ridiculous. The bankers just didn't understand that we all lived in RVs and we had to fax stuff to different banks. It was it was a pain in the butt. And so I plan on documenting and sharing more with you guys how this experience has been of getting a software business off the ground while we're all traveling full-time in RVs and kind of it being a real-time case study to share with you guys what I'm learning in this process, how we're finding customers, how we're figuring out our pricing structure, communication on our team, et cetera. If you want to learn more about campground booking or you're a campground owner who wants to be able to take online reservations at your park, go to campgroundbooking.com and click request a demo. I'll be the other guy on the end of that demo <laughs> and I will talk to you then. All right, let's get into today's show with Kevin Halesh and I. So my first question, I guess, is one thing I admire about what you're doing is you have a lot of irons in the fire, as to say, like you diversify in what you're trying to start up to make money. So just start out with telling everyone and me like what's paying your bills now, what you're focused on and what like do you want to be paying your bills in the future? You know, kind of like your two year goal or five year goal. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a timely question because we, Alyssa and I are going through all of our finances from this year to kind of look at the breakdown of everything right now. And so just getting into specifics, I know that like a sixth of our income randomly came in through speaking this year for like some big comp. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just a random no, that's number. That's great. I, actually, I don't know if it was a sixth. That may, it may be maybe less, maybe like a seventh. Uh, really? So, and then there's a bulk of our income that came in this year through, I would say the predominant stream was client work for our production company. Mm-hmm. So, reoccurring clients that we had who were we producing courses for, video work, and things like that. That's definitely the bulk of our income. And then the big goal this year was to hit two grand a month of passive income from the blog. Mm -hmm. And that includes affiliate blog posts that we've written, which haven't been a ton, but, you know, here and there, like we've written one for Passport America that's bringing in like around 200 bucks a month, which is pretty good. It's like a blog I wrote a year ago. And so the goal was to have that number increase. And I'm kind of loosely throwing sponsorship income in there as well, like for the Mm -hmm. podcast. So we're starting to bring on some. I say we, I'm starting to bring on some yeah. sponsors for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So that is starting to kind of subsidize that passive income area as well. And so right now we're kind of in this weird zone where the main focus has been our client work because that's been producing actual revenue and income for Absolutely. us a lot. And then over the past couple of years, we've been building up the blog. Alyssa and I have been building up the blog to be a revenue generator for us as well. We're hosting the RV Entrepreneur Summit. That may bring in some revenue via sponsorships for that event as well. But the end goal over the next couple of years is over the next year really is to transition off of client work to Mm -hmm. do less video production work and be able to run our blog, our community, this podcast, and then also the long-term be able to build up campground booking in the process. So Mm -hmm. the end goal, I'd love to be able to continue creating content, the RV industry, blogs, podcasts, just like this hosting. If the summit goes well in February, Mm -hmm. uh, be able to do more stuff like that. Yeah. But definitely the main focus being on building campground booking up into a successful software company in this space and serving a huge need. And that's where I'd like to be spending all my time, but it's kind of an interesting thing, like segueing off of client work and kind Mm -hmm. of being able to do your own thing and also working towards the bigger goal, which is building the company. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'd be curious to see how that transition is going for you. Like how the client work is, so alluring in that it pays the bills immediately, like it's a fixed amount of work for usually thousands of dollars. How is your transition going off of that towards these passive income streams that aren't necessarily as straightforward or lucrative at this point? 
Yeah, I the way that I've always thought about it, it's kind of like a, a question of importancy over urgency or vice versa. Like really, since we started traveling, I've valued doing things like blogging, mm-hmm. even though for the longest time, that was a very long, slow burn to actually create any income from that was because I knew that blogging was going to take a long time. And so in real time in the moment, I remember we were six months, you know, maybe just a couple months on the road and I'm like spending a ton of time creating blog posts. But realistically, like, that's not providing any income. Like a right. real, real time would have been, you know, like finding client opportunities that could pay. So there's kind of been this healthy struggle all throughout the past couple of years of traveling, trying to figure out what is pretty much the most that I can get paid for client work, doing the least, spending the least amount of hours so I can dedicate the rest of my time mm-hmm. to long, to working on creating more long-term revenue options that mm-hmm. are passive based, that are more in mind control. And I think it's probably it's probably been one of the hardest things about what we've been doing the past couple of years, because it's one thing to say, but it's almost like having a side hustle, you know, Mm -hmm. like when you're in a full time job. But I think easier than that, because you have more flexibility with clients versus if you were in a full time job, you'd have to be Mm -hmm. doing it nights and weekends. And so for us, it's just been making sure that we first and foremost, take care of our client work that's actually paying the bills and no, just being fully honest with you, it's mm-hmm. mostly been because of Alyssa that we've kept those clients and done a really good job. Yeah, she's that's a way great. she's a way better employee than than I am. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question entirely, but yeah, it definitely does. It's definitely a balance, and it's freelance work or client work is just so tempting. You know, it's just so like that's something my wife Mandy and I go through. We have this conversation once a, once a month. Usually, it's like. Do we focus on client work for both of us to, you know, pay the bills and pay off our debt and everything? Or do we focus on setting ourselves up for, you know, two years in the future or five years in the future where it's a big part of our income is passive income or our whole income is passive income? Do you tend to sway more towards one side or the other as far as focusing on the long term or the short term? Because this is kind of like a a mm-hmm. riff that Alyssa and I have going mm-hmm. back and forth where I tend to be like, well, it's okay that I missed out on this mm-hmm. $500 or $1,000 gig this month because I'm working on this thing that's going to generate 5x that in mm-hmm. six months. And maybe I've almost used that more as an excuse than anything. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of acknowledge that. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm I'm <laughs> figuring out as I go along too. But First of all, I'm supposed to be asking the question, not you. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's definitely something uh, we're me, my wife and I are going through the exact same thing. It's uh, I use it kind of as, as an excuse as well, but you know, just seeing some passive income or just seeing your passive income streams grow is so much more rewarding than getting even a bigger check in the mail from a client. It's just at least that's how I'm built. That's like how I'm wired is to want this sort of entrepreneur passive income like separating myself from the money or the business a little bit yeah absolutely yeah that makes sense yep i'm so tempted to jump in and just be asking the questions no totally let me drive (laughs) i'm definitely not an interviewer but um you're doing great yeah thanks that kind of goes along with something else i wanted to ask how do you balance work versus not work like everyone says work-life balance how do you and Alyssa balance that Versus traveling, exploring, you know, you live in an RV and you travel around. There's, you could probably spend, a, you know, 40 hours a week outside exploring, eating out and everything. So how do you make the time to work? And also, how do you make the time to 
log off of work and, you know, sort of refresh, go exercise, get outside, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, well, I think today we're going to go to maybe Hamilton Pool. Hopefully, if, if it's if, open. If yeah. it's open. And But I would say that during most of our travels, I do a really crappy job of logging off mm-hmm. and and exploring. Like this summer, I've talked about on the podcast, we went to Banff, we went to Big Bend, uh, the Tetons, the Glacier Twice, West Coast, and we did a lot of really amazing places. Um, but almost all of those places, I was working my butt off, doing mm-hmm. podcasts, editing shows, working on my ebook, The RV Entrepreneur, and doing all these other various things. Because I really have, I struggle at this point in my life feeling like I can take off time work because I have this fear that if I quit working, there's a chance that I could have to go back to getting a real job or go, you know, like give this lifestyle up. And so sometimes I do that to my demise or to my being overworked. And so I don't have a good answer because I'm not good at it right Mm -hmm. now. I, I don't have a good balance. I mean, but I would still say the quality of life is really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been periods of time where I've been really good about you know, like I take a daily nap every day. I mm-hmm. wake up when I want. I go oh, to bed. Yeah, and I, I usually at two o'clock is a nap o'clock. Mm-hmm. Unless I have t- and I have time in the evenings. We have quality time throughout the day. I enjoy the work that I'm doing, so it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like work. And I know that's mm-hmm. a cliche that everyone totally. says, but it's true. I love it. Like I get sad when it's nighttime because I don't want to go to sleep, but I do because I enjoy sleep and I get eight hours a night. And so yeah, it's just it's been a learning experience for sure. But I mean, like. I enjoy, you know, like my parents being able to come up and meet us in the, mm-hmm. in the glacier this summer and Alyssa's parents coming up to meet us in Banff and we took off a week and, and while it probably doesn't feel like we've taken that much time off, I'm sure we've probably taken off more time than most people. And because we happen to be parked in really pretty places, a day off could mean a really amazing day in a national park that most people don't normally get. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd it's have true. to go on a full on vacation for us. So I'd say that it's not even that we take more time off. It, it's maybe just that the days that we get off are in amazing places because we're already parked there. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I think there's value to that too. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of value to even working, you know, in beautiful places. You know, being able to step outside your door and go for a quick hike in Banff. You know, people would travel, you know, days to get there. Right. And like you said, like they'd have to make a whole weekend trip out of it. So there's definitely some advantages to uh, working in beautiful places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of segues into something else I wanted to ask you. A common theme I saw in hourly America was people that workers you interviewed, they quit their higher paying job that was kind of soul sucking and did something they loved for a lower pay, you know, working in a bicycle shop, that kind of thing. What do you think about that? And also what do you think about kind of the opposite? approaching work as work and not defining yourself or your own self-worth by the work you're doing or how much money you're making or that kind of thing. And the reason I say that is it's an issue I've been thinking a lot about. Like if I introduce myself to someone, I'm like, hey, I'm Kevin. I make iOS apps. You know, that's how I define myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually working more on defining myself by other stuff you know i'm i love my dogs i love my wife i should say i should have said wife first (laughs) shoot um like i'm a husband i love to explore outdoors and it's I, i know a few people who you know don't have the best jobs or best careers and they're not making as much money as i am or whatever but they define their lives by something else like i have this one cousin who works nine to five and then knocks off work and goes backpacking. He lives in Alaska. So he just goes backpacking every evening or most every evening and 
weekends. Yeah. So his life is something other than work is what I'm kind of getting at. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I mean, you kind of alluded to this the other day. Uh, so for anybody listening, Kevin and Mandy are parked us next to this, mm-hmm. this whole week uh, in San Marcos. So we've had a lot of time to, to kind of chat. But I'm assuming this kind of ties into this whole idea of people taking alternate types of travel. Like we're doing Absolutely, this. Yeah. We're doing this whole working on the road thing mm-hmm. where we have to continue working if we want to keep traveling. And then there's the opposite, not the opposite, but another style of travel, which mm-hmm. is saving up for a period of time and then just 100% taking time off to go explore. So mm-hmm. is the question, there's probably a couple questions baked into that, sure. but is part of the question like which one is better or? Yeah, just do you, I, I think we're both in the same boat where we're working and traveling kind of at the same time, but do you ever see yourself, you and Alyssa, you know, taking off work and then just purely exploring for a longer period of time, a month? No, no, I, <laughs> no, I mean, that's I, great. I don't. And the reason I say that is because our whole thing has been mission centered travel where we we've had things that travel was propelling us towards various goals, whether it was paying off debt, mm-hmm. d- doing hourly America where we worked a job in all 50 states or even now with campground booking, it's like literally going to different RV shows and campgrounds across the country to sell mm-hmm. them on our product. And so for us, it's it's about there being a travel intertwined with, I mean, a mission intertwined with our travel. So I don't really see gotcha. us. But as far as the other thing that you're talking about is disconnecting our association with like our work and our value. Mm-hmm. That's definitely been a struggle for me as well, because when we were doing hourly America and I was working different few jobs a week, it was weird because I, I really, really struggled during that year of my life to tell people mm-hmm. what I did for a living. Right. If I told them I was a filmmaker, it felt fake because mm-hmm. I had just been picking up a camera for two months. I didn't even right. know what all the buttons meant on the DSLR. I still don't know what all the buttons mean on a DSLR. And so I, that didn't feel real. It didn't feel real telling them I was a blogger, but it felt more safe because I was like, I was doing that. And so I still kind of struggle. Alyssa jumps in when we meet people and I, and I tell them what I do. Now that we have campground booking, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. probably gonna cop out and just, you know, I co-founded a software company. Mm-hmm. It's easy answer, but I always get a ping of anxiety when somebody asks me, what do you do for a living? Because I feel like I need to explain this whole long story and give an explanation as to why I live in RV, but it's not just because I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I can't afford anything or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to over explain. I don't know. So one of my friends, he gave me some good advice when I was talking to him about this. He was like, just tell people what you're doing because that's never a lie. You know, mm-hmm. if I, if I, if I had just pigeonholed myself into saying I'm a filmmaker, well, what have you done? And, mm-hmm. and, or if you're not doing that in the moment, you kind of sound like a phony. But if you're waking up every day working on that thing, then you're doing it. So if for his thing was, I think that's exactly what I was struggling with during this conversation. I was like, I don't feel like a filmmaker. He's like, well, are you waking up every day editing and or working on this project? And I was like, well, no, not right now. He's like, well, that's why you feel like a phony. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're doing it every day. So now I, I kind of answer that question almost when people ask what I do. I say, well, I'm working on this or mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Because it's not a lie and it's real and mm-hmm. maybe it has a conversation outside of that normal thing. And I've also found on the flip side of that, that when I meet people, I tried to quit asking the question of what, what do you do is the first words out of my mouth. I like asking, what is your story? Mm-hmm. Or even meeting people and just asking, what are you excited about? 
mm-hmm. and that and it people it kind of catches people off guard because it it goes against that grain, but you get better answers. It's just like with podcasting; it's like if you ask mm-hmm. crappy questions, you'll get crappy answers. And so I've kind of tried to do that as well when talking to people. Yeah, it's almost like a game. Like you meet someone new, and it's like, how long can I go without asking what they do for work? You know, exactly. And asking stuff like you said, like, what do you, or even like, what do you love to do? Like, what are your hobbies? That kind of stuff is generally more interesting than, oh, I work at a cubicle or I have, (laughs) or even I have a software startup. That's cool. But if you're not in software, you don't have follow up questions for that. It's like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's nice that you do that. But yeah, it is interesting. And it gets, and I think that traveling in RV in a weird way has helped push that on me because now even when I go into formal areas of work, like if we go to a conference, which is a very like stiff, you're handing out business cards type mm-hmm. of thing. That's probably the most normal environment to ask what it is you do. But when we were doing hourly America, I realized that the first question I always ask people just for context is like, what was your name? Spell it for us. And then I would ask what, tell me what it is you do. And I always mm-hmm. found myself kind of like zoning out during those periods of time when people were answering that question. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that exciting most of the time. Like our work in itself isn't, but it's the people, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the stories that make you who you are or why you're doing what you're doing. Like that's why I started this podcast was because it's a way to facilitate good conversation when most of the conversations we have to have are very service level and not deep because I don't know, it's fun for me. Yeah, Uh, that's great. It's a great reason to do it is to kind of dive past the sort of cocktail party questions. Yeah. yeah. I, have a, I have a friend who says he's he's probably one of the best. Com- he should write a book on conversationalism. He has his doctorate in communications. Wow. He, he was a professor at my university. And I would walk into his office at our university. And I know we're probably getting on like super side tangents from like building a business while traveling, but whatever. Yeah, it's cool. And we would go in there and we just immediately have good conversations within like a minute or two. I never even had him as a professor. I would just go there because it was like in his room, in his office, it facilitated good conversation within like a question or two. He was like a magician at it. And mm-hmm. um, he always says, I hate talking about the weather. He's like, if you want to talk about the weather, pull up your iPhone app. Like, just right. go do it. You know, he's like, he's saying how his dad or his parents always want to just chit chat about something like the weather. Right. He's like, go look at your phone. If you want to have a real conversation with me, let's have a real conversation. But yeah, <laughs> that totally makes sense. I get where he's coming from, but I have the opposite view. So if you're talking oh, to yeah. someone you already know, about the weather, it's sort of a waste of time. On my, almost, you can kind of get to deeper subjects with people you already know, your yeah. parents especially. But if it's a random person in a grocery store, I think the weather is one of those weird things that like unites people. Oh, totally. Almost like yeah. it just breaks the ice between you and a complete stranger. It's like, especially, I mean, I don't know what the weather's like all year round in Texas, but it's a lot nicer than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, it's like, oh, it's supposed to get cold this week, or oh, it's raining <laughs> again, that kind of stuff. And you just start a random conversation. So it's nice to break the ice a little bit like that. But I obviously don't have a doctorate in communication. No, no, so. I, I, I would 100% agree in that yeah. regard. And and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that too, because it is mm-hmm. one of those things that combines us. And in the same way, when I'm at campgrounds, it is, you know, what kind of rig you got? Or right. I love your RV. <laughs> Because that naturally spurs into good conversation, especially if, mm-hmm. you know, I really do like their RV because mm-hmm. then I ask lots of questions about it and all that stuff. So, yeah, for sure. I know. How long is your rig? <laughs> what does that thing weigh? Yeah. 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 What's, uh, what kind of clearance you got on that thing? Yeah. yeah. It's like, what, 12 sex? Yeah. 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 It's RV talk, hot yeah. RV talk. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of non work subjects, what do you, 
you can't answer with software or building businesses or anything. What do you love to do other than work? You know, kind of that skipping the what do you do for work? It's like <laughs> we're only now getting into the what do you like to do as a hobby? Oh, that's a good point. I love to read. Great. Yeah, I, I, re- I read a lot. So every morning I'll try to read in, in the evenings on my good days when I don't feel like watching Netflix or home, mm-hmm. Homeland on Hulu because we've got into that lately. Mm-hmm. I love going on walks, especially when you're here because you got your dog, your totally. dogs. You love and, dogs. I love dogs. Foxy and Luna, those are Kevin's dogs. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. Other thing, I love just guiltily looking at RVs online, like shopping, window shopping, even though we already have one and I Wouldn't like it. it. Yeah, a new That's one. That's <laughs> like a weird thing. I enjoy it. I get that. Good conversation, wine, mm-hmm. other things outside of work. And the other thing on this note is I, I've been trying to steer work out of our conversations, like with mm-hmm. Alyssa and I, because I tend to, we, we live and breathe it. So I've been trying Absolutely. to do a better job of that. Other things outside of work. I mean, hiking. hiking? I, I should have probably thought of all these like nature outdoor stuff, like, no, up, I like... considering like, we're <laughs> living in the RV. Right. Um, yeah, so I do enjoy. I just got my first pair of hiking boots, which oh, I'm st- never had legit hiking boots. So I'm kind of official. My Instagram game is going to get stepped up content wise, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. It's all about the content. It's all about the content. That's great. You got to wear in your hiking boots. Yeah. yeah. So two stepping. We may two go two stepping, stepping okay, while you guys yeah. are here. We talked about that. Yeah. Uh, we don't do that much unless we're in Texas. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess I need to get a better answers for all of them. No, th- yeah. those are all good answers. And they're different answers than I would ever give. Like I hiking, I love hiking, but your answers were all around sort of people, hanging out with people, conversations, walking and talking with people, two-stepping I assume is pretty social. Yeah. Um <laughs> so it's it's different than me. Like I think you're definitely more of an extrovert. I'm introverted and I'd be happy not talking to people as much, mm-hmm. I guess, but it's it's always a a good conversation when you have people that are like-minded and everything so. yeah totally yeah yeah it's great well i'm out of question <laughs> shoot well at the 21 minute mark man well, oh i know sorry <laughs> i'm totally not an interviewer <laughs> no it's okay we can dive into some different subjects yeah for sure so you said you mentioned reading what good books have you read recently i would say one of the best books i read this year was gosh what was it oh growth mindset by carol dweck mm-hmm. uh she's a professor and essentially the book pretty much puts a framework around like all these different areas of your life. Like I think you have a pretty growth mindset when it comes to, like learning, like you're really good at, you know, mm-hmm. just fixing a bunch of stuff on your RV. Cause you're like, I'll just YouTube it and figure mm-hmm. out how to do it. And I think I have a pretty good growth mindset as well, but I realize there's also a lot of areas of my life where I have a, what it's called, what she calls a limiting mindset, I believe is what it is. And basically mm-hmm. you kind of have this mental script in your head, which says, I can or can't do something or mm-hmm. I, I'm only going to be this good at it. And so I thought that was a really interesting book because it kind of challenges a lot of, it, it makes you more self-aware. Mm-hmm. I think of your own, how you think about certain things in your life, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier about saying you're a filmmaker when you kind of felt like you weren't. Yeah, It's kind of like you were a filmmaker, you made a documentary or you were in the process of making a documentary. That's a filmmaker. but you have this limiting mindset, I guess, where it's like, no, I mean, I'm not uh, Steven Spielberg or any other famous documentarian, but I'm still, you know, a filmmaker. Yeah. And it's hard to give yourself that credit sometimes because when you're new to something, especially, you kind of think you're so great and then you realize how much you don't know and you're like, 
oh, wow, I know nothing. Like, I've made a documentary. I'm speaking for you, but (laughs) I've done projects in the past where I make a website or an app or whatever, and it's like, oh, I know nothing about this. Like, I've made an app, and I know nothing about this whole market, you know? Do you ever get that feeling? I I guess you do, but yeah. Well, I'm scared that I I think that I know too much when it comes to certain... You know, like, I feel really confident that we've got like a software like campground booking mm-hmm. is going to serve a huge need. And I feel like I've validated it quite a bit with talking mm-hmm. with campgrounds, other people in the industry, you know, I've, and also living it for the past three years. But also mm-hmm. I'm fearful that, do I really know what I'm doing? You know, I, I really feel like I have a good team in place mm-hmm. and I think we have a good direction and all these other things, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that's part of it is so, you know, Part of it, I think, is just trying to be self-aware, but the other part is just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what your question was. I don't really, <laughs> I didn't really have a question, but no, that's a, that's a great point. It's, you know, you never know what the future is going to hold for a particular business, but all you can do is try it and grow. And even if you think you're not an expert in the area, you know, you will become one. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. So are you... Your first book you mentioned was kind of a nonfiction, you know, self-awareness. I, 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 hate, I hesitate to call them self-help books, but it's kind of like it is. It growing is you yeah. mentally. It's like yeah. challenging, you're learning, you're... I have a weird association with self-help books uh, because... It's a bad phrase, I, but... I, I hate the term because it, it makes you... When you say it, it, it's like everyone thinks it reverts to like only the seven habits of right. highly effective... Or not that that's even a bad book. I haven't read it. But you know what I mean? That style of book, the rah-rah. Right. It's corny. used in a negative, it's almost used dera- uh, in, a in a negative way. Yeah. 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 I, I would agree with that. And for me, the way I, I look at those books and I probably read, that's the majority of the book mm-hmm. or just business in general books right. that are maybe thrown in that category. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't really. But uh, for me, I look at them like if I'm having a conversation with this person, like what, what kind of content am I taking in? Otherwise, like if I'm not taking in this content from this quote unquote self-help or business book or whatever, I'm ta- I can have the option to take in like Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can meditate. So that's kind of just like a net zero. I'm with my own thoughts. Those right. are probably good. I can watch YouTube. You know, there's all these different things. And I would say predominantly like a lot of the content that you're going to take in isn't going to provide much good, much value, much good value. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the books could, even if it's just an idea or two. So mm-hmm. for me, it's almost, I almost treat them like okay, this is just me having a conversation with this person over a cup of coffee. Instead of actually doing that, I'm reading their book and trying mm-hmm. to get some value out of that because a lot of the alternatives are, you know, sitting around reading Facebook or Twitter and not really mm-hmm. doing much at all. So Right. That's a good point. I mean, I think of them as self-help books, but all uh, nonfiction books are kind of like self-help books. Like you're furthering your stream of knowledge and your, you know, what you feel confident talking about and yeah 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 and i think that the maybe some of those people that put out the most corny ones kind of gave the industry a bad name but there are a lot totally. of good ones out there yeah <laughs> absolutely and just anything educational i'm totally in the same boat as you i pretty much exclusively read non-fiction books but every once in a while i do throw in a fiction book in there and it's a good like escape it's almost totally. like it's almost like watching a tv show you know it, you're reading so i guess it's a little more productive but yeah. it's just not using your brain i guess and we giving your brain a break we've both read uh ayn rand is yeah that, that's how you pronounce it right? ayn rand, yeah, yeah ayn rand because i saw you're you're wearing her yep, t-shirt atlas shrugged. yeah <laughs> which took me like a year and a half to read that book oh my gosh but i uh, 
even that was a story base we talked about that mm-hmm. first of all i feel like it put me into a dark place sometimes where mm-hmm. i you know like wanted to shut out the world and conquer my industry be a titan of industry kind of like people in the book right. yeah but at the same time it it's almost a self-help book it's preaching yeah. like a a way of doing life and doing things mm-hmm. so i think if I could find more books that were really good, well, story based mm-hmm. that weren't just escape for entertainment purposes, but had a good moral behind them. Mm-hmm. I would definitely read more fiction. I'm sure they're out there. I just haven't spent a lot I'm of time. I'm sure there are too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a great one. <laughs> How many people, we could get some people watching. We could ask, yeah. some, we could get people to ask some questions too. Yeah. That'd be cool. Cause we're pretty much, I mean, 30 minutes is not a bad episode. Yeah. Oh, your, your four questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought we'd go pretty deep. No, that's, that's okay. Cool. Is there anything else that we, you want to cover? or Yeah, that's up to you. Well, what else do you want to talk about? Like, what else do you want your audience to know? I love hearing podcast hosts interviewed because through the interview, you kind of get to know, like, your opinions on stuff and the stuff you're working on, but it's never as direct as someone asking you questions. So I like this behind-the-scenes look. Yeah, so, I mean, so you li- you've listened to quite a few of the podcasts, yeah. right? So, I mean, what are things that while you're listening, you don't necessarily get from the host, for someone like me, I guess, that you would want to know. It's mostly the specific stuff you're working on. So with your mm. podcast in particular, it's a lot, uh, you interview a lot of people who have an established business and you're digging into kind of how they got started, that kind of thing. And I think a good question for you would be, how did you get started? Like what mm. led to this point? Like you've done hourly america what happened before that that kind of set you on this path to get to where you are now oh yeah that makes sense well it was almost like my freshman year in college i would say i uh i went to school for baseball and i picked up a book Hmm. started reading some books on entrepreneurship it was actually my my uncle had passed away the week i was leaving for school so i was kind of like this outgoing guy in high school you know like go to some parties or you know hang out with lots of friends i was Mm -hmm. always running around and things like that and then like I said, my uncle passed away right before I went to school and that was my dad's best friend. And so like mm, at a geez. time when it was, I was kind of supposed to be super outgoing and, you know, going and enjoying college, spreading my wings. Uh, I felt a little bit like I was leaving my dad on, my, on his own. Oh, and, man, that's and, tough. and then my roommate situation was just God awful. Like I had one guy that was on trial for really pretty bad crime. He, <laughs> he ended up not, they ended up saying he was innocent, but would have been bad. One of the guys uh, I'm pretty sure was, drinking his own urine for extra protein purposes. And one guy was uh, juicing on uh, steroids. That's and worse so, than most freshman roommate stories. Yeah. I remember at one point there was knives that got thrown out of our window onto the thing. What it was in the world. It was crazy. So I ended up spending most of my freshman year sleeping on my friend's couch. Um, mm-hmm. And my parents are listening. They probably haven't heard all these stories. <laughs> but, so anyway, during this time, I, I kind of started reprioritizing things and I picked up some books. I hadn't really read through most of high school as your, your typical jock kind of guy like Mm -hmm. you know i'm just doing sports and not really reading or anything like that but i picked up books again because i really enjoyed reading growing up before that and i started reading books by like richard branson Mm -hmm. and some other entrepreneurs like steve jobs and just i remember thinking like these are this is what i want to do i hadn't really thought about it much i mean Mm -hmm. growing up my dad was always saying you start your own business you should do your own thing Mm -hmm. but i hadn't really given it much thought along the lines i wanted to play professional baseball and Mm -hmm. so reading all these books i really felt like these guys resonated with me and for the first time this idea of building something bigger than yourself. I, it was just, I was hooked and I was like, this mm-hmm. is, it was like one of those few times in your life, maybe with like development that you've had or mm-hmm. designing apps or whatever. You're like, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And 
and so that's kind of how I felt. And so I, I went through some iterations of like the first business I started, which was like, I was working with a sourcing manufacturer. I was sitting in my apartment, you know, like outside of baseball practice, sourcing manufacturers from like Alibaba because I was starting a sporting apparel line. And we like mm-hmm. came up with also some little trinkets that we invented for like batting practice. And we were mm-hmm. going to start like a sporting goods business. We were playing baseball. So mm-hmm. that was our first thing. Never really took off, never got any kind of momentum. My junior in college, after working in a minimum wage retail job, I did start a clothing line called Aristo mm-hmm. and we were doing, it was like online, you know, we had our own brand, you know, create our first storefront. It kind of taught me some basic things. I took a loan out, mm-hmm. blew it all on inventory because I was going to keep <laughs> doubling it without having any kind of money right. to uh, actually, you know, have a rainy fund like or market, market or yeah, anything you need to start a business. It's depressing to even say, yeah, because it's so dumb. And it, you know, anyway, learned a lot because mm-hmm. I, you know, like had this really good momentum going into that. So I was like, I'm gonna just blow through all this inventory. Inventory never sold. Ended up, oh, no. uh, you know, so selling some of it, giving it away, giving a lot of it away to mm-hmm. friends and things like that. And then the cherry on top was when we were moving out of my last apartment, my senior year in college. We had a bunch of bags of trash and things that we were sitting on the side of the mm-hmm. sidewalk and the trash men would always like, we had trash delivery that would come around and pick mm-hmm. it up. And there happened to be like 11 bags of t-shirts, all brand new, never been worn. Oh, and they no. accidentally got placed over there and they got picked up and thrown oh, away. No. So I don't know how much inventory was in there, but that was kind of like the, the dagger on top that oh, killed that, no. you know, that the, yeah. it was already done. Right. But, so that was a learning experience. And then I started, you know, being in Austin, there's a lot of technology things happening. And I didn't, to be honest, I didn't know what a tech startup was, Kevin. Like mm-hmm. I heard technology and I was like, okay, I don't understand what that means. Right. But I, I was like, it seems hot and I want to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I went and joined a, an accelerator program and I wasn't actually like going through a particular accelerator. It was like, if you have an idea, you know, they'll help you get to like a seed funding round or something like that. And I told the guy, I was like, I don't have a, it, and it was more of like training than anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't have a thousand dollars to go through this. But would you let me be an intern here and kind of do whatever and go mm-hmm. through this process with all these other early stage entrepreneurs? And he's like, yeah. And so I went through there with this idea I had for another clothing company that wasn't even a tech startup. And mm-hmm. so because I didn't know, I didn't understand. Like, that's right. how ignorant I was going into this. Mm-hmm. But I just saw I, I knew there was going to be some kind of opportunity there. And so after college, uh, I joined a startup and I think I was employee 13 and the company was doing well. And I liked everyone, but I, I guess after seven or eight months, I've kind of told this story on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sales, yeah. Software sales yep. wasn't what I wanted to do. So that was kind of like then Hourly America came around and I kind of put the business dreams on hold to just kind mm-hmm. of go do this trip. And then the need for campground booking came up to build a better software solution for campgrounds to manage and accept online reservations kind of came up organically. And I think one of the biggest things I've taken away of being out on the road that I didn't realize before because I had all these random business ideas that I want to pursue. Like one was coffee pops. Yeah. So we like, for, you know, like those little like, like popsicles, popsicles that you can, they can buy for like 500 for like a dollar. Oh you know, yeah. Like the long In the ones. plastic. Yeah. So we like repurposed sleeves. those yeah. and like made them coffee pops. So oh. you could like have like, like we good tweaked, idea actually. <laughs> I thought we like had the LLC and everything. So we, uh, <laughs> with the website and stuff. And so we like figured out the exact specifications for how much creamer would go in there. And we're mm-hmm. thinking like UT's campus and we went around, passed out frozen coffee pops. We'd kill. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they probably Texas melt. Texas heat. Yeah. 
so anyway, all these random ideas that weren't really conjoined in any way. Mm-hmm. But then I think being out on the road with hourly Amer- with doing hourly America and doing this whole RVing thing, it kind of taught me a way to like be a part of an industry and doing something I actually enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something I'd really ever thought about in business was actually like solving a need in a space that I wanted to be for a long time and actually mm-hmm. interact with everyone on a day to day basis. So that was something that I'm really happy about that mm-hmm. that we found. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think from hearing that, like how your your origin story, I guess, you have a great approach to stuff that you don't know about. So you didn't know about tech startups, so you interned at an incubator kind of thing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't have that attitude. It's like they would have run into that first roadblock, like, oh, I don't have a thousand bucks to go through this thing. Well, I guess I can't do it. But you're really good at inventing a role or just diving into it in some way to gain knowledge through experience. Mm. And I think that's, you know, a, a very rare thing. Like I, I can only think of a handful of people that have that attitude. Like I don't know about something. Let me just try to dive into it or just get my foot in the door in some little way and just not, you know, just hop over the roadblock instead of letting it stop you. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought mm-hmm. of that that much, but yeah, I, I guess that's kind of repeated itself in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, even with Hourly America, it's like we wanted to go travel the country for right. a year and go to all 50 states. We didn't have the money to do that. And so I guess most people could have looked at that situation and been like, well, screw it. I'm not going to go. Right. And Tra- that's why no one did it before you. Yeah. Really. I yeah. mean, worked a job in every 50 yeah, states. I mean, like- there has been a couple of people that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, in that regard, well, it's like, well, I think if you, in my you know situation, I was like, I really wanted it. Like, I really wanted to go do it. And so, you know, there's different, like, I I don't know if it's just me or, you know, I think a lot of, I'm sure there are a lot of other people like that. Like, you'll find a way, like, as corny as right. people say, it's like, if you really want something, you'll find a way. And right. I really think that's true. Yeah, because like you want to get involved in tech startups. Well, there's no one's going to just give you something. But if you can mm-hmm. provide value or you show somebody, if you show up and it's like you let somebody know and and you're honest with them. I told the guy, Kevin, who runs Tech Ranch in Austin, which is the place where it was. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, I don't really I don't know any of this stuff, but I'm willing to work for you to mm-hmm. go through that. And I think if people see someone with that initiative, like they're willing to give you a shot. The same with Snagajob. I told Snagajob, who was our first sponsor, like, it's kind of weird in retrospect to like get a company that big to actually fork over funds mm-hmm. when you have no online presence whatsoever, mm-hmm. like not even a website. And that's not something I would recommend to people. Mm-hmm. And I think the only reason why they were okay with it, well, a couple of reasons, but one of them just being, cause I was like, I'm going on this trip, whether or not you guys do it or not. Mm-hmm. And the truth is we couldn't have made it if they right. didn't do it, but like they want to see that kind of attitude, I guess. You say you couldn't have, but oh, we, th- we probably could have figured out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have the attitude, like, if Snagajob would have said no, you would have found someone else. And that's you would have true. made it happen in some way. I guess that's true. And I really did mean it in that mm-hmm. way. So, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, all right, so going back to baseball, actually. So you played baseball in college mm-hmm. and throughout high school. And what I did a couple sports, and it kind of taught me a few things. What did you learn from baseball in college, which I'm sure was a pretty rigorous uh, job. I mean, you were working out and practicing every day, probably. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest things that I took away was that uh, a self-awareness around the fact that I'm not an an intelligent worker. 
And what I mean by that is I was a really hard worker by mm -hmm. many accounts. Like through my junior year and senior year of high school, I woke up at 4.20 every morning, went to the gym yeah, for exactly. two hours That's before crazy. school. I went to batting cages after school. Like I worked insanely hard, mm -hmm. but I didn't, I didn't film myself. I didn't, I didn't, you know, like study other books written by baseball and, and, and not mm -hmm. every person would need to do that. But like, I didn't, I wasn't a student of the game as I much see. as I should have been like my learning curve. If I would have brought somebody on, if, you know, I took some lessons, but if I would have taken more lessons, I think I could have had more people audit where I was. Like I was a really good hitter. I was really fast. Like I had, I guess what you'd call like MLB speed. I ran a six, five sixty, which is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but I had a terrible arm. And so mm -hmm. that was something like I should have been able to realistically know that I couldn't make it to the bigs with that kind of arm mm -hmm. unless I really invested time. Gotcha. And it was one of those things I kind of just ignored. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. self-aware to like really devote tons of resources into honing that part of my game. And so I look at that experience and like all the times that I put in and I don't want to call it wasted hours because it wasn't. I was working hard. But I, the way that I want to work towards my business is be able to self-audit myself, like bring in other people, make sure that I'm working and tell it like smart and hard on things and not wasting time and not doing things I shouldn't be doing. Uh, and so honestly, when I look back, that's probably one of the biggest things that I was a learning experience that I can apply to what I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great thing to draw. It's not just throwing more hours and sheer effort at it, learning what your weak points are and improving those Yeah, and uh, reading or how being a student, like you said, I think that's, that's a great approach for sure. Yeah, something I'm always honing, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, cool, man. Thanks for interviewing Yeah, me. <laughs> of course. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. All right, well, if you, by the way, if you want to go check out Kevin, check out his app. Uh, we inter What episode did I interview? It was like 10 or 11? I'll have to go back and look. Uh, yeah. I don't it was one of those, two, 10 or 11 yeah. on, the, on, the episode, on the podcast. I interviewed Kevin. Uh, he has an amazing app. That's how we actually met. That is how we met. Yeah, you I, emailed me. I downloaded his app and emailed him. It tracks how often you use your iPhone helps you be more present. It's awesome. Called mm -hmm. The Moment. We'll link up to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But thanks for being thanks. here, Kevin. Yeah, of course. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to heathandalyssa.com forward slash episode 43. Today, I want to give a shout out to Marcy and John Beard, who submitted their listener story this past week. John and Marcy have been traveling all over the country in their RV for the past 10 years while John installs solar panels. The current pattern of work is to park themselves somewhere warm and sunny for the winter and then travel slash explore the country during the summer, which sounds remarkably like our life at the moment. It's not too shabby. Marcy said the solar industry is taking off and booming, so he's been able to find short-term work wherever they go. So there you have it. If you want to hit the road almost immediately and you know anything about solar, apparently, according to Marcy and John, you can get a job because the solar industry is doing extremely well. Well, if you're out running a business or you have a cool project that you're completing while you're traveling across the country, shoot me an email and let me know. Heath at campgroundbooking.com because each week I'm highlighting different stories from you guys so I can share some of y'all's story. Even the 40 plus people have been on this podcast who have documented their RV entrepreneur stories. There's still a lot more people out there who are doing cool projects. So I'd love to share that. Send me an email, heath at campgroundbooking.com. And thank you guys again for listening, for being a part of this community. I would love to hear from you in iTunes and I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.